Well, there's one thing that causes us all to be impatient. When we're in a rush and we're tight on time, these guys, these red lights. So how many of you have ever, I want you to think to yourself right now, how many of you ever, when you see these red lights, have, have caused negative thoughts in your minds, <laughs> negative, negative reactions, or even negative words have come out of your mouth at times, right? But selfishly, sometimes we think that if we just had all green lights, everything would just be great, right? The, the day would be great, wouldn't have any issues, but I'm pretty sure everybody else on the road at that time would think the same thing. But just imagine for, this, for a second, if, if we all had green lights, if we got what we really wished for, it would just be a mess. It'd be so chaotic. So although we can, we can all agree that red lights, obviously, they don't give us what we truly desire in that moment is to get that green light. We don't get that. We can all be grateful and agree that if we're just patient and we trust the process and the structure around the red lights, that eventually we'll get to where we need to go. Well, as we take a look at chapter 16 and we focus in on David a little bit more, God's given David a specific process for his life uh, that we're going we're to take a look into tonight. And if, if you could take a look for David, if you trust this process that God has given, then David's going to be able to be patient and he'll be able to get through and have uh, patience once he gets through that process. So let's turn to Second Samuel chapter 16 and get us started. As we open up in 2 Samuel 16, a couple things just to know about that. It's broken out into three different sections, so it's really nice um, how it's structured. You have the first encounter of David and Ziba, and then secondly, you have the encounter of David and Shimei, and then lastly, back in Jerusalem, we got Ahithophel, Hushai, and Absalom. So as we talked about in weeks past, David is in a situation where he's on the run. He's a fugitive right now outside of Jerusalem, and Absalom and Ahithophel, they're pursuing for the kingdom. They're gunning for it. So as, as we talked about before, this is just a, this is a down, down spiral in David's life. It's the worst time of his life right now. So let's pick it up in chapter 16, verse 1. It reads, when David had passed a little bit beyond the summit, Ziba, the servant of Mephibosheth, met him. So we met Ziba back in chapter 9, right? If you remember back in chapter 9, you have David. He's, just, he's, he's trying to provide kindness to somebody that's left in Saul's camp. So he goes around and he asks, who's left in Saul's camp? And he, he meets Ziba. Ziba is like, hey, I know somebody, Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth. So David says, bring him here. And David blesses Mephibosheth with everything that Saul owned, including everything that Ziba owned. So Ziba is now working for Saul along with all his sons. So in this situation... Ziba doesn't own anything, but yet as we get back to the text, he comes with a lot. Let's see what he comes with. Ziba comes with a couple of donkeys saddled, bearing 200 loaves of bread, 100 bunches of raisins, 100 summer fruits, and a skin of wine. And the king said to Ziba, why have you brought these? Ziba answered, the donkeys are for the king's household to ride on, the bread and summer fruit are for the young men to eat, and the wine for those who faint in the wilderness to drink. And the king says... And where's your master's son? So let's put ourselves in, in David's shoes for a second, right? This is a head scratcher. Nobody during entire David's lifetime has ever, out of the house of Saul, has ever tried to help David. And now all of a sudden in this time of, of distress, in this time of chaos, you bring, you're, you're bringing me things to help me out with. So it, it's a little weird. Secondly, just looking specifically at Ziba, it's look, I, I gave everything that you own to Mephibosheth. So 
If anybody should be here, it should be Mephibosheth, right? Like, why are you here, Zeba? Well, Zeba came planned and he came prepared. So he had an answer to that. And look back at the text. Zeba said to the king, behold, he remains in Jerusalem, talking about Mephibosheth. For he said, today, the house of Israel will give me back the kingdom of my father. Then the king said to Zeba, he just, he's, he's thrown off right now. He's, hey, instead of every, everything that Zeba has, I'm just going to give it to you. So Zeba responds with, I pay homage. Let me forever find favor in your sight, my lord, the king. So my interpretation of this, I can just picture Zeba just being like, yes, plan, mission accomplished. Good. So we move forward. And then as we look, sorry about that. So as we look at the specific word that Zeba uses in this time, it's today. There's a specific intention around the word today, right? So he puts this word today out there, and it leaves David with no time to do any research. So he just has to act at face value. Whatever he says, he just has to respond with it. So what does he respond with? He, he gives everything that Mephibosheth owns to Zeba. Well, we often get hit with this pressure as well. When you think about if you're a consumer and you're in a sales process or you, you visit some of your local retailers, they do it all day long. You've heard it. One-day sales, first-time visit sale. Or my favorite is when you're in the checkout line at a grocery store and you get up to the register and you see all of these things, gum, candy, everything you have to offer, and everything has a sign to it. Everything has a sales sign. And so you have to act under a lot of pressure because you can't hold the line up. So you see a sign that says, buy five for $5. You think, wow, that's a, that's a great deal. I'm going to buy all five. Well, little did you know, if you just flip the sign up, oftentimes the retail value is $1. So now you just wasted money and bought five things for no reason at all because we didn't spend time to read. So look, life can be fast-paced in general, right? But in Southern California, it can be even faster. And if we don't pay attention to it, then we can get caught in this situation of pressure where we have to act out of impulse and we have to make a decision. So what we need to do here in order to, to avoid further problems in the future is we have to slow down and... Point number one for us tonight is be patient and willing to dig beyond the surface. Be patient and willing to dig beyond the surface level. Surface level is what we see. It's what's common. It's what people just give out to us when we ask a question. It's the initial response to it. Uh, it's the safe answer. But it's never, it's never the real issue that they come out because it takes a lot of vulnerability to just give the real issue uh, when you first ask a question. Okay? So we got to ask questions, man. We got to be able to ask questions to dig deep. And a great way to ask questions is just starting with the five W's. We learn these in, in elementary school, who, what, when, where, and why. Right? I'll tell you who's great at it is our children. I got a three-year-old at home. He's great. What do you think his favorite word is, that favorite question? Why? 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 They do it two, three, four, five times over until you get to the point where you're like, I don't know why, just do it. I don't know. But there, there's a lesson to be learned there. For the kids, they're just looking to delay something that they just pro probably don't want to do. But for us, there's a lesson to be learned there because it gets us to think. It gets our wheels spinning. It gets us to reflect on why are we having them do this. And it gets us to the root cause of the reason behind it. So if you look at previous texts or upcoming texts, uh, we'll take a look at it. And if, if David would have just poked a few holes in Ziba's plan, he would expose Zeba. I'll prove it to you. So turn back with me to 2 Samuel chapter 9. 
Second Samuel chapter nine, as I mentioned before, this is where we first initially met Ziba. And David could have drawn from his previous experience just to just to realize that a Mephibosheth takeover is just not likely. We'll start in verse one. Verse one says, and David said, is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? So people remaining in Saul's camp, they're hard to find nowadays. So to think that Mephibosheth is going to take the depleted army of Saul that's left and take over David. It's just crazy to think about. We drop down a few verses to verse eight. There's another reason down there. And he paid homage and said, what is your servant that I should show regard for a dead dog such as I? So the word dead dog, we'll revisit that here in a little bit. But this guy's not even confident. He's not even willing to accept the gifts that David is going to give him. He doesn't feel like he's worthy of that. How in the world is he going to be worthy to take on a kingdom? And then lastly, uh, let's jump to chapter 19, verse 24. I'll show you one more reason. Chapter 19, verse 24. So David is back in Jerusalem, and Mephibosheth comes to meet him. Verse 24 says, And Mephibosheth, the son of Saul, came down to meet the king. He had neither taken care of his feet, nor trimmed his beard, nor washed his clothes. From the day the king departed until the day that he came back in safety. So his personal upkeep is not even reflective of somebody that's trying to take over the kingdom. You have this guy who his, his beard is scrappy. Like you just don't do that overnight, right? So over a period of time, he's just not taking care of himself. He's in mourning. He's in deep sorrow because the king is not there. So when we think about him trying to take over the kingdom, just not there. Lastly, He's, he's not the person that we're focused on right now that's trying to take over the kingdom. It's Absalom. Absalom has everything going for himself from his perspective to be able to take over the kingdom. So those are just the reasons that we have. But getting back to asking more questions, we got to be able to ask questions to dig to get to the root issue. Oftentimes, we just treat the surface level, which we call the symptoms. And we don't spend time to get to that, that root issue, which is the true disease. Many times we have these issues that come up, whether it be our brothers, whether it be our family, whether it be our friends, they bring these issues, they're genuine issues that they bring to us, and they want to help. And we treat them like an assembly line, right? An assembly line is going, and you just can't spend so much time on one issue. you got to be able to fix the issue and then pass it off and then move to the next. We treat our friends and our family like an assembly line. But the same thing that happens with an assembly line is what happens? You send that out, and you're dealing with the same problem all over again. Doesn't that show up for us a lot? You deal with one problem, you think you fixed it, you, you have that, that badge of honor, yes, I solved the issue, but then a month later they're coming back and the same problem is there again. It's because we haven't touched the root issue, we haven't touched the heart issue, we just played on the surface level. So Jesus was amazing at getting to the root of questions. So in, in Mark 8 you have Jesus, you don't have to turn there, I'll just explain it to you, uh, but Jesus is feeding 4,000, he starts with seven loaves of bread. And then right after that, the disciples are in the boat and they're arguing and bickering about, hey, who forgot the bread? Why didn't you bring the bread? No, it wasn't my fault. It was your fault. So nobody brought the bread. And and Jesus is looking at them. And these are the questions that Jesus asked. Just listen to these questions. Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And you can just see the shame in their answer. They say to him, "Ah, 12, verse 20 in here, and seven for the 4,000, which we just read earlier in in the chapter, how many baskets of full broken pieces did you take up? 
And they say, seven. And he says to them, do you not yet understand? So surface level is, yeah, there's no bread. There's, that's a legitimate issue. But the root cause here is in this moment of time, they don't have faith and they don't have the high view of Jesus as being their provider. So let me ask you this, man. How often are you quick to jump to conclusion? Instead of really taking the time to listen to people that have brought their issues, taking their time to bring their issues to you. What about with our wives? Wives bring issues. They're looking for us just to listen. They're not looking for an answer. But so often we're quick to just jump in and give them an answer because we want to pass it on and move to the next thing. We don't take time there. What about with our kids? We think we know it all. We think we've seen it all. We think we've done it all. So anytime our kids bring a situation to our, our, our face, then we just tell them, hey, go do this because it worked out well for us. Instead of taking that advantage, that opportunity to dive deep, ask more questions, right? Get them to start to think for themselves. Come up with the answer on, the, on their own self. And then also being able to tie it to scripture. It's a great opportunity that oftentimes we're just passing because we don't want to spend time being patient. Lastly, what about your brothers? Your brother's here. Many of you in men's Bible study have seen it before. We have a, a big, large group that starts, and then throughout the year, they just fizzle out. And then also we talk to these same brothers that are on the patio. Some are not even involved in small groups. Some are not even involved in men's Bible study. How many times have we stopped and asked a few questions, really dug deep and found out why? What's the root issue? Why are you not here? Diving a little deeper as opposed to them just saying, hey, I'm busy, and then we leave it alone. So we got to be better about that. We get this opportunity all the time, well, frequently, I'll say that. And it's, you hear this is, I'm having a hard time or I'm not, I'm not being great about being in the word, all right? We've all personally felt that or you experienced it with somebody else. They bring that to us. And the surface level answer that we give is, hey, hey, set your alarm for 6 a.m., get up in the morning and read the word. Problem solved. I just helped you out, right? And we leave it at that. Well, that's not the issue. That's the symptom. We're just treating the surface level. And if we use the same example, we can take this one right here and we'll just use, we'll just use why, right? And so the conversation will sound something like this is, I'm having a hard time. I'm not in the word enough. And you ask the question, why? And more often than not, the answer that we get is too busy. Well, that's a common answer. We're all busy, right? So if you dig a little bit deeper and you ask that question again, hey, why are you too busy? What are you busy with? Then they start to open up a little bit. Well, you know, job, you know, I got meetings and I got hobbies. You know, the kids got stuff on the weekend. It's just really hard. I'm really tired and, and things like that. Okay. So why, why, why are you, why are you, why is your schedule filled with all these things? Who's the, who's the most important thing in your, who's the most important person in your life? Is it Christ? And they have to answer that question. And then by that time, we start to really get to the root issue of, well, maybe, God is not the most important thing in my life, right? Now we're getting somewhere. Now we're getting below the surface. And then finally, you probably get to the point where if you dig deep enough that they realize, hey, I don't have a high view of God. And then that's the root cause issue. Now we can work with that. We can fix that, and that's going to help everything else, but it's not just that surface level, okay? Is it easy? No. Does it take time? Absolutely. Does it feel like an inconvenience sometimes because you got other plans? Yeah, totally. But it's the loving thing to do. It's what we have to do. Brothers, we have a responsibility that God's placed people in our lives and he's brought certain situations to the forefront for us. We got to be able to dig to the root and we got to be able to get there and get some answers. The more we just 
play at the surface level and we don't dig to the root, then we allow that root cause issue that they have, that excuse, that reason, it might be legitimate or not, we allow that just to magnify. And it starts to convince them that that's the true problem that they have, and then they just get further and further set back. So we, we talked about David and how he acted impulsively in this first scene. Getting back to our text, let's go to verse 5. David has another encounter. This time it's from Shimei. So let's unpack how David handled this scene. Verse 5 says, When King David came to Bahurim, there came out a man of the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shimei, the son of Gera. And as he came, he cursed continually. And, as he, threw, and he threw stones at David and at all the servants of King David. And all the people and all the mighty men were on his right hand and on his left. And Shimei said as he cursed, get out, get out, you man of blood, you worthless man. The Lord has avenged on you all the blood of the house of Saul, in whose place you've reigned. And the Lord has given the kingdom into the hand of your son Absalom. See, your evil is on you, for you are a man of blood. Well, we, we know this. Unlike Zeba, there's no uncertainty of how Shimei feels towards David, right? So verse 9 says, then Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, said to the king, why should this dead dog curse my lord, the king? Let me go over and just take off his head. But the king said, what have I to do with you, you sons of Zeruiah? So Zeruiah is the mother of Abishai and also Joab, who, who we remember. Uh, he killed Abner for, out of retaliation for killing his brother Asahel. So we're dealing with some brothers that are short-tempered. They're hotheads, right? So we also see the reference we mentioned before, dead dog. So dead dog, dogs in this day and age, it's not like Orange County. They're not treated like the firstborn child of people's family. That's not here, right? Dogs in this day and age, they're the scum of the earth. So even without using that adjective dead in there, it's an insult to be called a dog. So let's pick it up. David continues. If he is cursing because the Lord has said to him, curse David, who then shall say, why have you done so? And David said to Abishai and to all his servants, Behold, my own son seeks my life. How much more may this Benjaminite leave him alone and let him curse? For the Lord has told him to. It may be that the Lord will look on the wrong done to me and that the Lord will repay me with good for his cursing today. Wow, what a perspective. We'll get back to that. Verse 13. So David and his men went on the road while Shimei went along on the hillside opposite him and cursed as he went threw stones at him and flung dust. And the king and all the people who were with him arrived weary at the Jordan. And there he refreshed himself. So I want to go back to Abishai for a second. This, this guy's a character. He's aggressive, to say the least. Abishai, there, as we look at sports and related to that, uh, all the great sports team, they have an Abish, Abishai. Right? They're known as the enforcer. So when I think about Chicago Bulls of the 90s, their Abishai was Dennis Rodman, right? Detroit Pistons, their Abishai, Bill Lambeer. These guys have a couple of loose screws up upstairs, right? You, you just don't know what they're going to do. But it's great to have them on your team, right? So they're willing to do anything. I mean, we're talking flagrant fouls. We're talking text. We're talking get suspended. They do whatever is necessary to protect their team and to protect the star player. So Abishai has this mentality of protecting David. Let's check out the consistency. I mean, look at Abishai's resume and his reaction just to go for the kill. We're currently in verse 9, let me go over and take off his head. Let me just take his head off. <laughs> Done deal. 
right? And we think back to 1 Samuel chapter 26 when Abishai and David, they snuck through Saul's camp. Everybody sleep around and they're standing right over Saul. Remember that? So Abishai says to David, God has given your enemy into your hand this day. Now, please let me pin him to the earth with one stroke of the spear. I, I promise I won't have to strike him twice. I promise I will kill him the first time. This guy has confidence in his ability to kill, right? And even I'll fast forward to chapter 19 in verse 21. So Zerui, uh, excuse me, Abishai, uh, Shimei, sorry, Shimei has come back. He realized he's done wrong earlier in chapter 16. He realized he's done wrong. So he's coming asking David for forgiveness. Even when he's on begging on his knees, Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, answered, Shall not Shimei be put to death for this because he cursed the Lord's anointed? But David says again, what have I to do with you, sons of Zeruiah? If I, if I put this in Kellen's paraphrase in February 2019, David's like, dude, why do you have to kill everybody? Like, relax. The guy's trying to ask for forgiveness. We don't need to take off his head. But again, it's great to have an Abishai on your side. Although you might not be that Abishai enforcer in your life, I hope not, okay? I hope you're not. The first thought that we often have in our mind, it's not too far from it, right? So when we have these thoughts in our minds, we, have, we, gotta, we gotta back out of that. And we gotta be able to be patient, look under the surface and see what else is there. And point number two for us tonight, we can't overreact. Be patient and don't overreact. Romans 12, 21 says, do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good. We have to be able to fight that temptation to overreact that almost always results in more problems. Now, let's review David's perspective on this because this was interesting. You got somebody throwing stones at you, throwing, flinging dust at you, cursing at you. I know all of us in this room, you're probably like, yeah, I, I want to let this guy have it. But David has an interesting perspective on it. Shimei is just one guy attacking David and all of his men. Now, let's not forget David's undefeated at battle. David's no, no wimp, right? He's undefeated at battle. He has his, his, his crazy guy, Shimei, or um, Abishai, excuse me, Abishai by his side. And in addition to that, according to the law in Exodus twenty two twenty eight, you shall not curse the ruler of your people. So it would have been very easy for him just to do away with this guy. Nobody would have blamed him. They understood He's getting on our nerves too. Let's just kill him and be done with him. But David has this experience with the Lord that causes him to not overreact, that causes him to think just maybe the Lord has Shimei here for a reason. Maybe he has him here to teach me something. And no matter how unworthy it is, we can't overreact. So he, tells, he calls off the dogs, don't do anything. Just let him go. Let him do what he needs to do. But just like David we have to truly know the living God in order to have that perspective of love and compassion in the midst of being punished for our sins. Speaking of perspective, this weather's been quite crazy um, for Southern California. It's, it's a little bit different than what we've known to expect here, right? We can all agree there. Um, but after being here for five years, I've lived in Texas. I'm from there. I lived in New York as well. I'll tell you, I've become extremely soft when it comes to weather. My range for weather is about 80 on the high end and maybe 60 on the low end. Anything outside of that, you got to convince me to get out of the house, right? But 
I tell my family this in both New York and, and Texas, and they just laugh. Because I'm like, oh, we got this 50-degree morning. It's freezing. I, I don't know what to do. They laugh at me because they're familiar with it. They've experienced it. They've been through it. That's a walk in the park for them. 50 degrees, they're having dinner outside, enjoying it, right? <laughs> We've had a couple days here in the mornings where it's been 30 degrees, freezing. Even had a little sheet of ice, a little, little small sheet of ice on my windshield. I didn't know if I was going to make it, right? <laughs> I didn't think I was going to survive. But when we look at perspectives, people in New York, people in Texas are looking at that like, that's easy. But because we're not used to it, we're not familiar with it, it's a little bit tough for us. But it's all about the perspective. And as a believer, we don't, get the, we don't have the, the ability and we shouldn't be overreacting. Because we know that God is in control. God is going to see us through. Where the rest of the world, they're going to overreact because they think that it's chaos, that there's no control, there's no order, and that who knows what's going to happen next. As believers, we know exactly what's going to happen next. We know that God is in control, and he's going to do everything for his good. And so we can be confident in that, and that gives us the ability not to overreact. So you may ask, how do I maintain this perspective of not overreacting. What, what things can I do? I'll give you a couple of them. One is pray specifically for God to reveal that perspective through the Holy Spirit. No matter what situation that we're in, there's always a way that we can be glorifying God. So thinking about that, being prayerful about it, how can I glorify God in, in the midst of this situation right now? And praying specifically that God reveal that. Second is seek counsel from our other brothers. Somebody that's not attached to that specific situation that they can see clearly and they can give you big biblical counsel on how we should be handling that. Oftentimes it's not how we, not probably not what we want to hear, but it's probably what we need to do. We get too emotionally attached to things so we can only see about this much. But when you bring somebody in that doesn't have that emotional attachment, they see the big picture. And their perspective is, is God-centered. Hopefully if it's a brother, it's God-centered and they can strike, they can lead us in the right direction. So God can use Shimei, opposition like Shimei in our life. Opposition can come in many, many different forms. Opposition is whatever's standing in our way that's, caught, that's preventing us from getting where we want to be or where we need to be. Opposition for you can be a multitude of things. It can be one specific person. It can be a group of people. Right? It can be an illness. It can be a disease that's impacted you personally or that's impacted somebody that you love. Opposition can also be the loss of a job. And the list goes on and on and on. We see God's use of opposition in the book of Habakkuk. God uses the evil nation of Babylon to punish Judah for its sin. And Habakkuk is, is looking at God like, hey, can you even do that? Like, you're so holy, you're so perfect. How are you able to use evil? God can temporarily use evil to accomplish what he loves. So even though he's using Babylon in this situation, in the end, evil is always going to fall to destruction. God's going to make sure of that. We can't overreact, overreact if we trust in God that God is sovereign overall. So something that's more common to us is we all have a coworker, a manager, a client that we work with that, man, we just think, if I could just get rid of this one person, everything would just be great. You all know who that person is in your life. I mean, everything that they do is an inconvenience to you. It's annoying to you. They can ask you for a pen, and you're like, ah, oh, 
How does this person have a job? They're so unprepared. They don't have a pen, right? We, we freak out because this one person is in our life and we don't oftentimes think about maybe God has placed that person in our lives. So we can't overreact when we have that one person. We have to have that perspective to know that there's a reason that per- person is there. And that, that overreaction that we want to have in our mind, it should drive us to prayer. So a few things we should be practically praying about in these situations are, number one is thanksgiving. We should be thankful that we have that job. There's a lot of people that are out there that are unemployed right now that they would do anything to be in your situation, to have that job, to have that one person to deal with. They'd love to have that. Number two, godly responses. Colossians 3.23 says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, not for men. So we need to be having godly responses as if we were working directly for the Lord because we are. So when you vision that person, your leader, your boss, picture them as you're working for the Lord. And that's how you should be interacting with them. Number three, prayer for opposition. Look, we don't know what they're going through in their life. There's a lot of people that are going through a lot personally, professionally, and they just happen to to take it out on those that they work closely with. If we're praying for them and we're steady showing them kindness and honor in spite of how they're treating us, that can open up the conversation for gospel. Right? We can share the gospel with them because they're wondering, hey, why are you so nice to me? And, and I, know, I know I'm rude to you. I know I'm not fair to you. I know I'm mean to you. That opens up that conversation for gospel. Four, it's clarity for God's lesson to be revealed. Not just pray, praying to escape, Lord, get me out of here. No, praying that, hey, why, why do you have me here, Lord? There's a reason. Reveal it to me. Let me know so I can go after that with everything that I got. And lastly, for God's will to be done is number five for us, not our will. God's will, wherever it takes us, his grace is going to sustain us all the way through that. And we have to trust and know that. So getting back to our text, we enter our third scene in this chapter. We're back in Jerusalem now. So verse 15, we'll pick it up there. Now Absalom and all the people, the men of Israel, came to Jerusalem and Ahithophel with them. So as we remember, Ahithophel is former now David's friend, trusted advisor. He's now jumped ship. He's with Absalom. He thinks they're in hot pursuit of the kingdom. So he's like, hey, I'm, join- I'm joining your son, right? Verse 16, and when Hushai the archive, David's friend, came to Absalom, Hushai said to Absalom, long live the king, long live the king. Now, this is not the watered-down version of Long Live the King that we hear today in movies and Burger King commercials. Like, when you hear Long Live the King back in this day, that's an oath to that king that you're supporting, you're following him. Verse 17, and Absalom said to Hushai, is this your loyalty to your friend? Why did you not go with your friend? And Hushai said to Absalom, no, for whom the Lord and this people and all the men of Israel have chosen, his I will be, and with him I will remain. And again, whom shall I serve? Should it not be his son, as I served your father? So I will serve you. Who shall I answer these questions in such an ambiguous way? Right? He, never, he never puts names there. He never says David. He never says Absalom. He doesn't say anything. So ambiguous. You can even put David's name in some of these statements that he's making, including this last one. You remember from last week, as we look at 2 Samuel 15, 34, I'll, re- I'll just read it for you. But if you return to the city and say to Absalom, this is David talking to Hushai, I will be your servant, O king, as I have been your father's servant in time past, so now I will be your servant. Then you will defeat for me the counsel of Ahithophel. 
by following what David commanded him to do earlier in chapter 15, ultimately he's still serving David. But Absalom is in hot pursuit of the kingdom. He has such a big ego now, he can see it in his grasp. He doesn't even notice that. He's just like, oh, I can see why you want to join me. Yeah, yeah, come on, come on, be part of my crew. So who shies in? And if we remember last week from Pastor PJ's um, split on this, there's commentaries take both sides of this. All right, you have the commentary, the, the commentary that takes the side of, look, David hears that Ahithophel is now with his son Absalom, and he prays to God, make his counsel foolish. And so right after his prayer is done, shortly after, he runs into Hushai. And one camp says that Hushai is David's or the Lord's answer to David's prayer immediately, right then and there. The other side of it is David has the prayer. He comes and he sees Hushai. And he's like, hey, hey, wait, wait, wait a second, Lord. I, I got a better one. I got a better one right here. So he puts the Lord's plan on, on pause, and then he goes to Hushai and, and, and gives him this plan of deception to go into enemy territory. But whatever, whatever view you want to take here, whether it's, it's God's answer to prayer or you have God making good of David's impulsive decision to send his friend out there, God's, sovereign, God's sovereignty is clearly evident in this situation. So like many times in our lives, God's providential plan is just way better than anything we could ever imagine, anything that we could ever draw up. That brings us to our final point of the night. We have to be patient and trust that God is working behind the scenes. Be patient and trust that God is working behind the scenes. There are no accidents with God. Nothing happens that's out of his knowledge or out of his control. For me specifically, it was when I moved here to California five years ago. I, we were in Texas, my wife and I, and, and we wanted to get back to Southern California where she's from. Um, and I had the opportunity to come out here to Orange County. And it was a job transfer. I never knew anything about Orange County other than what you see on TV, which is glamorous and all that stuff. But that's all I knew about it. Nonetheless, we, we ended up coming out here. Uh, and right after that, I had a cousin that's back in Texas who listens to Focal Point. Uh, and she listened to Pastor Mike and heard about Compass Bible Church. And when I was talking to her, she was like, hey, check out Compass Bible Church. She has no idea where I live in Southern California. She has no idea where Compass Bible Church is in Southern California. She just told me to check it out. So I'm like, all right. So I ended up looking it up, and Compass Bible Church is, is five miles from my house, right? She has no idea. So you can obviously see God orchestrating in my life everything that was happening there. As we look at our text, God is orchestrated to allow Hushai to be right in the mix of things to hear what's about to go on. So as we pick it up in verse 20, then Absalom said to Ahithophel, give your counsel. What shall we do? Ahithophel said to Absalom, go into your father's concubines, whom he has left to keep the house. And all Israel will hear that you have made yourself a stench to your father. And the hands of all who are with you will be strengthened. So we see that Ahithophel's counsel to Absalom is to go all in. We're not holding back here. The ESV uses this noun stench. Other translations use the word obnoxious, or you can use other synonymous words like highly offensive or, or hateful. They're going so far as to break the law on sexual immorality that we read last week in our DVR. Leviticus 20.11 says, If a man lies with, the fa with his father's wife, he has uncovered his father's nakedness. Both of them shall surely be put to death. Their blood is upon them. So this act is making it very clear that, look, they're not trying to repair anything after this is done. This is, this is over after it, after it ends. Verse 22. 
So they pitched a tent for Absalom on the roof, and Absalom went into his father's concubines in the sight of all Israel. Now in those days, the counsel that Ahithophel gave was as if one consulted the word of God. So was all the counsel of Ahithophel esteemed, both by David and by Absalom. So Ahithophel, he, he plays a role of the evil person, and it's very similar to somebody that we all know very well in the New Testament. Who is that? Judas. Okay, we got that. So just as Judas played a key evil role in Christ's crucifixion and ultimately his resurrection, Ahithophel's plan carries out and fulfills God's specific judgment. And just check out how specific this is. It's provided in, in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 11. I'll read it for us. It's, Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house, Absalom. And I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, Absalom. And he shall lie with the wives in the sight of the sun. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before all the sun. So what we just read in verse 22 is a spitting image of what was stated in, in chapter 12. And the fact that Ahithophel proposed such a foolish plan is a direct answer to David's prayer. Make Ahithophel's counsel foolish. God's plan is always in action. There's never anything that happens outside of God's sovereign plan. Sometimes we've got to pull ourselves back out of the situation. We've got to take a 30,000-foot view of our life and just think back on how God's brought us through chaos, how God's brought us through situations in our life, and let that spur us on. So I work in the fitness industry. I work 24-hour fitness, and I see this all the time. There's a lot of similarities between the fitness, somebody's fitness journey and then spiritual journey. Obviously, two vastly different endings, right? And one is much less important. Uh, but the fitness industry, I see it a lot. You have people that have these resolution, New Year's resolutions, and they feel good about it. And before you know it, they jump ship, ship just when it's tough, right? So a, a lot of you in this room, it, you might not have had a fitness goal in 2019, but maybe there was something you just wanted to be better at, something that you wanted to do, you wanted to accomplish in 2019 uh, that you didn't do previously. Well, just like most gyms, a lot of people now, about a month and a half into the new year, Gyms are empty. People have gone back to their regular routines. They've given up on their New Year's resolutions, right? They look at it, and now that, now that the adrenaline is wearing, wearing off or has worn off, and also you look at the fact that it's gotten a little hard. It's gotten a little tough. And then lastly, for, for my fitness people, you, you've, you've, men, you've cut out this, this guy that you want to look, shredded abs, biceps, triceps, and after two weeks, you're like, I don't look like this guy yet. I'm done. I, I'm done. I've worked my butt off. Why don't, I, why don't I look like this cutout? So you quit. Well, we can't quit on God's plan that easily, right? Just like working out, the more that we go through, the bumps and the bruises and the trials and the tribulations that we go through, it strengthens us. It allows us to have a stronger faith. It allows us to grow closer to God. So we can't just give up on his plan that easily. Matthew 7, 14 says, the gate is narrow. The way is hard that leads to life. Very few will find it. The great thing is that God tells us these challenges way ahead of time. He tells us life is going to be hard. It's not going to be easy. 
but he gives us encouragement. He gives us resources. We all have a Bible. has a ton of great information on how to live life. It's the manual for life. We have our Bible. We also have fellowship with all of our brothers here. How often are you meeting with your brothers? How often are you sharing testimonies? How often are you picking your brothers up? Right? Giving them that encouragement. Right? We have these things all at our disposal. And then we also, as I just mentioned before, we can look back at our life and just see how much God has brought us through, through all the chaos, through all the struggles. God's seen us through all of this. In the midst of your chaos, brothers, and pressure that we have, we got to stay patient and stay on the journey. And know at the end of the day, God is in full control. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this text. Uh, just text is so rich. Uh, it tells us so much about just how we should handle situations. We're all going to come through tough times, Lord. We're all going to have struggles. You've said it. This life is hard. It's not easy. But we're just thankful that we can pick up our Bibles and read stories like David. We can see how he did not overreact when it just seemed obvious where he, he could have reacted against Shimei. And nobody would have blamed him, Lord, but you call us to not overreact. You call us to trust you. You call us to rely on your sovereignty to get us through tough times. And Lord, I pray that um, each one of these men in here, we can continue to do that. We can also continue to dig deep. We know you put individuals in our lives for a reason. And so when you put these individuals in our lives, help us not to be like an assembly line. Help us to be diligent about it. Help us to dig deep, to ask some questions, to go deep, to, to get uncomfortable a little bit, to know that it's the loving thing to do. It's going to allow somebody that's in front of us now to, to move forward and not have the same reoccurring issue happen over and over again. Lord, so, so help, our, uh, help this conversation be profitable during our small groups. Um, help us think about ways that we can go make an impact today, uh, that we can start looking beyond the surface, asking questions, and getting to the root cause of things. Uh, we thank you for this time, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.